Gratitude and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness explores the diversity of grief, the gratitude we embrace, and the greatness we gather on the journey. I'm your host, Sarah Shaul. Shireen is not afraid of talking about her late husband. Her ease in sharing about him makes him somewhat larger than life. I feel like one of these days I'm going to bump into him on the street. When so many people refrain from talking about those who've passed, it's such a beautiful thing that she's not shy to talk about him. They just are afraid that people will perceive that they haven't moved on. That's a big one for me. For the really like heavy connections, your husband died, your child died. For me anyway, I felt this need to hide that I thought about him every day to some degree. Like I didn't talk about it to people because it felt like they would judge you in that you weren't moving on. But it doesn't, you don't need to move on. I mean, I can honestly say that I have thought about him every single day. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And how long has it been? He died in 1999. Wow. I think it's a beautiful thing to know that when you pass, there's someone that's going to think about you every single day. So what? That's not a bad thing, you know? I will say that having such a major connection death made all the other deaths I've experienced a lot easier than maybe they would have been. And I've had a lot of close deaths. How has it made it easier? I know the grieving process now. And I think there's some universality to the grieving process. The bargaining, that whole thing, the anger. For me, I will say that when Jason died, there was such a long period of grief. Although I was doing things, you know, like I spent about a year where I was just surfing and reading a lot and writing a lot. But when I got back and worked and did things, the grief process is such a long one. I remember thinking that I was like, oh, I'm good now. Yeah, you know, it was like two right. years in. I'm like, oh, I'm so good now. And then like six months later, I'm like, wow, I thought I was good right. then. Now I'm much better. It just keeps going from there. Now I can bypass a lot of it and go right to the, I don't want to feel sad about this. But as long as my child stays alive, there's no one that's going to hurt. Like that Like one. that, no. It's the connection you have. And there's people that don't get to grieve. I was given the right to grieve. Her husband's death leaves her a title she'll always carry. Because of the fact that my husband died when I was 28, we were so young that I was a young widow. That was what yeah. I was, a young widow, young yeah. widow, young widow. Now I'm going to be 47, and I'll always be a young widow. I was in school this summer taking a class where I had to write in a journal and, and do research papers, and I was doing one on a movie, and the character in the movie was a young widow, and it caught me off guard, and it made me 
get emotional. And I thought, wow, I still think of myself as a young widow, but I'm going to be like a 90 year old woman someday that's a young widow, <laughs> which is kind of cool. That right? is cool. I mean, these huge life events that happen to us, they kind of freeze time, right? I remember the day of and the day after my mom passed so clearly. That was 40 years ago. Do you think of her every day? No. I mean, I can honestly say that. I think about her a lot. You know, it's funny because I think there was a time long ago in my youth where I was really proud of myself for making it a day without like missing her or something like that. Yes, here's one of the things that I'm mad at myself for. I think I forced myself not to share stories about us. Those stories are now lost in my memory and he's not around to be like, remember when we did this? So the only stories that have really stuck about him and what we did are in my mind and in my memory strong are the ones that I repeated. But because I felt conscious of repeating them, I can honestly say there are chunks of time that are just not in my head. Yeah. And that's sad. That's society telling me, don't hold on to these memories. It means you're not moving on or whatever, you know? Yeah, well, because there seems to be a real push for people to move on. That's people who just haven't dealt with it themselves. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah. Sometimes it's interesting. I have a very close friend that died of cancer, young, another young one at 28. And I saw her mom recently. Her mom had a lot of anger and was kind of letting me know about all the people that were doing things wrong. Don't come to the grave or don't do this or do that. And it, and I just let her talk and I didn't mm-hmm. say anything, but inside I kept wanting to say, you're not mad at any of that. You're mad because your daughter's dead. Yeah. And you're allowed to be mad at that. Sure. And you're allowed to be mad until another 10 years and then maybe it'll shift to sadness. Everybody's timeline is their own. Mm -hmm. And when your daughter gets taken from you that young, I don't know. I don't think anyone has the right to give you any sort of a grief timeline. No. You know. And the timeline is interesting because like you said, one day you'll be an old lady Mm -hmm. and you'll be a young widow. That I think is saying that the grief process never really ends. And I don't think it ever does. Grief is a result of a very impactful event in our lives. And those events, I don't know if they change us, but they definitely affect us. Mm-hmm. You know something interesting? People always say, you can't let a tragedy define you. I call bullshit on that. I think it's quite <laughs> all right to be defined by something that major in your life. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing because maybe the idea of being defined is different in my mind. But I feel very much that Jason dying at that time is somehow part of everything that ever is for me. It just is, it just is. And your relationship with his family. You know, it's funny, I never think of it as weird, but the truth is every time I mention it, people tend to go, oh, you're still friends with them? And I'm like, friends with them? I'm still family with them, Yes. you know? Yeah, I was very close with Jason's, I am very close with Jason's family, and I was from the get-go when I met them in 19, what, 92 or something. I was very close friends with his little sister, so she's still my friend, still my sister. And his stepmother is such a mentor in my life. You know, as a matter of fact, I remember the day Jay died when Karen walked in, my um, late husband's stepmother. I remember walking into our guest bedroom with her and looking at her 
And Jay had only been dead for maybe 10 hours or something. And I remember looking at her and having this sense that I would know her so much longer than him, you know, if life went the way it's supposed to. And my instant thought when I saw her was, I met him to meet you. Wow. I met him to meet all of you guys because he's gone now. Yeah. Like, that's it. And I imagine that you have this appreciation for them, especially holding them in your life still. Every single one of the children that were born to his siblings have the middle name Jason. And every one of them reminds me, see, they're not afraid of grief and death. They're Jewish. I think that culturally there's probably something to that. Having them in my life, I think I'm also something wonderful for them. And I think we all feel that sort of special appreciation for each other. Yeah, I get the feeling because you take vacations with them. and Yeah, I mean, they are my family as much as they would be if Jay were alive to some degree. I have a child and they are Grandma Karen and Grandpa Irwin. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I know, it's so sweet. And she has cousins that are Jason's nieces. I will give my relationship with his little sister. She's 10 years younger than I am. She and I were tight before he died. She was young, though. She was only 18 when he died. It solidified our friendship in a way that was hard, really, for anyone else to understand. She and I were laughing about it, really deep laughter, quickly. Okay, my email address, you have to remember this is 1999. Uh Um, My email address immediately became who does that at what Hotmail or whatever Uh it was. Because everything was who does that? Like, <laughs> I have to pick out clothes for my husband's funeral. And we'd look at each other and just word, mouth the words, who does that? You know? We have and, to, then you would, we, and then you would laugh. Yeah. And then laugh our heads off. Did you worry about people judging no, you for that? No, I didn't. I was given the right. I can honestly say I'm glad that Jason and I got married young because mm-hmm. we were 24 when we got married, if we weren't actually married, I think society doesn't give you the same right. But I got to say my husband died, not my boyfriend died. Yeah, These right. These kind of things really, it's so silly, but they do make the nuance of a difference. As society recognized her loss, Shireen found beauty in her period of mourning. I can honestly say that the year that after Jay died, I, in some ways, envy some parts of that time in my life. And that sounds really crazy. It should be the worst time. It was like the most awful time in my life, but it was also one of the most beautiful times in my life. What made it beautiful? I want to say that I was resonating on a different level. You know, I moved to Barbados to be with my best friend and I basically spent the first 60 days straight of waking up every morning early and talking to Kathy. And she was my therapy. She was my savior. And what felt so great was that she knew him. It was at Mount Bachelor in Bend, Oregon, and he had hiked something called the Cone, where you can't take a lift up. We had gotten 13 inches of fresh powder, and I wanted to change the board I was riding because I had started on a bigger board, and I wanted my board back. And I asked him to change my bindings for me. We were riding up the lift, our last ride together, and he saw on the cone no one had ridden there yet. So fresh tracks, he said. Mm. And I was like, okay. 
he went one way and I went down to the car and then just about 15 minutes, I honestly, time was weird. I just remember waiting for him to do my bindings. And finally, I was like, oh, I'm going to just try to do it. And I finally figured it out and it took me a while. And I thought, wait, where is he? He should be down by now. And that was when I looked it up and there was some commotion on the mountain. And I said, don't make this about you. Not everything, you know. Mm -hmm. And this man behind me had a hook. Sometimes I want to find out who that guy was. He had a hook. And I remember panicking, being like, have you seen a guy with long hair coming around here? And you know how that day ends. I ended up in the hospital in a room smaller than this, Mm -hmm. tiny little room. And then a lady came in and said he didn't make it. And I was like, what? He's 28. And then I said, I'm okay. And the poor lady was like, you're in shock, honey. I feel so bad now when I think back to this poor woman having to tell me as a young woman that it happened. It was such a huge paradigm shift. Jason was a comparative religion major. I was a theater major. We fell in love discussing the nature of reality, the nature of love and soulmates. I mean, this kind of shit gives me chills because I believed that we were soulmates and so did he. And so there was this really deep, awful adjustment that had to be made. And it didn't come naturally at first. Oh my God, I have to try to force myself to love someone else because I'm not going to be able to ever let this go. Now I've, you know, evolved to understand you can have so many, there's way too much room in my heart. I could have a hundred <laughs> people, you know. Um, not that I'm polyamorous. That's not what I mean. <laughs> we can never have too much love in our hearts. And as loving parents, it's important to us that our children grow to embrace our values. If I think about death, for me, Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of the afterlife, death, any of that. My biggest thing is my daughter is eight and a half. And when my friend Amber passed recently, I realized that if I passed tomorrow or I died, I really want there to be someone that knows the way I think. Mm-hmm. So that all the different increments of her life, when she's 20, she could turn to this person and say, like, what do you think my mom would think of this, you know? And right now I have a boyfriend who that is, thankfully, because he knows me better than anyone and he could share with her that. That's probably my biggest fear is that because I want the whole point for having a child is to be able to share your view of the world or whatever for them. Is there anything that you feel that you've been able to teach your daughter I mean, do you discuss your loss with her? And- oh, she, yeah, totally. She, not for a while, but I did. One of my nieces came to visit in Portland. I just said, I'm sorry. It's so weird. There's a particular parts of her face that look so much like Jay. And I'm the weird auntie that's just like, I'm like, I'm sorry. It's always gonna, <laughs> you're always gonna be special to me. And I know that it probably doesn't feel the same for them. They didn't even know Jay. I'm this lady. They know I'm special to their family. But I didn't know him. Like I said earlier, I feel his presence because you give. I give him a lot. It's true. I never, I didn't let him die in a lot of ways. I think that's a great thing. Just today on Facebook, as I scrolled this morning, the guy that was doing ski maneuvers, like on ski patrol, Mm -hmm. when Jay fell, and that's who was the last person to see him. And there was something when I was scrolling, it was him and his daughter in a picture, and there was something about the angle, and this is how weird my brain is, that made me think that was the angle that Jay saw, because the camera was down here, and so I imagined Jay was laying on the ground. And I was like, oh my God, that was the man, that's his face. That's the way I am. 
you have a very open mind. And so you are more aware and you notice things right, like the that. connectedness of yes, things. Yes, sure. Absolutely. Sure. There are also people who are who are afraid to share those things because they think people are going to think they're weird. Yeah. Or, yeah. I never went to therapy. I didn't understand the concept of talking to someone who didn't know Jay. Yeah. Because he was that big. Yeah. It was like, no, you can't help me because you didn't know him. But years later, I read Joan Didion's Year of Magical Thinking. And boy, I cried. I cried these tears of relief, of understanding that I wasn't alone in thinking at times that I could bend reality and that that was something that maybe a lot of people do. When it was a month after Jay died and I had flown back and still had a house, so we had to come and pack it up, there was a moment where I was in my bedroom alone and, and the bathroom like sinks were here and there was a rug that came right up to the cabinet and it was slightly off the floor. And my brain told me that there was a note in that fold of the rug that told me where I needed to go, where the reality that Jay was alive was. I don't know how to explain that. It was like my brain was, I actually like went and looked. There was, of course, there was nothing there. Is that what people classically call denial? I mean, or it's like bargaining, like trying to figure out how to get them back. So when I read Year of Magical Thinking, it's been a long time since I read it, so I'm not going to get it perfect. But her thing was her husband had died. I think they had homes in L.A. and New York. And there was something about his shoes. If she can just move his shoes, then it wouldn't have happened or move them to the bedroom or never move them. I can't remember exactly what it was. But I sobbed with these tears of relief in that commonality of crazy, sort of irrational. So are you saying that there's a part of grief that's just really isolating? Very isolating. I happen to be a loner type. Mm -hmm. So to be quite honest, when this happened to me, I took off, like I said, and moved to Barbados. I mean, I moved to a tiny island and just went surfing every day went into debt. <laughs> no, but I basically disappeared for a little while and just let myself be. Shireen allowed herself to sit with her feelings. I think grief is something that is so ugly and beautiful all at the same time. I mean, I remember times where Jay had been dead for maybe a year about, and it felt like it had just happened. I mean, it was so raw, and I was having to write constantly to bleed the pain or else I would explode. I just remember it all still feeling really, really heavy. I mean, it was always, I still was laughing and happy, but there were times where I would be sobbing, so I'd, I'd drool, like, coming down to the floor, and I didn't care, you know, I was by myself, and I just let myself emote. And I am grateful for... The fact that I gave myself the right to grieve. Mm -hmm. I never once judged my grieving. Or pressured yourself to move. To move on or do this or do that. I think I tried to take an antidepressant. And within a month of taking it, my parents or doctors, I called my dad. I said, okay, depression when you lose your husband is normal. Not being able to get dressed as a side effect of this antidepressant, it gave me anxiety. You know me. I don't have trouble getting dressed. I was literally staring at my closet having anxiety. That was an interesting, uh, powerful thing. 
I genuinely knew every single feeling and emotion I was having was okay. I knew that, and I'm glad for that. I don't know who told me that, but I just knew it was all okay. Yeah. Whatever it was, even the awful stuff. How do you think it could have been different if you weren't able to run, run off away. to yeah, run off to Barbados mm. and surf every day? I mean, that sounds like it sounds like a dream, right? You were living a dream while living a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I was having a really, really hard time with this sort of paradigm shift of reality. I'm not going to pretend that there weren't a couple times where I wanted to die because it was so real. And it was like, there is no reason for me to be here. If it wasn't for my dad's face popping into my head, he's what kept me alive. It was like, I can't do this. I could never do that to him. How was your dad as a support through this? I mean, he was very supportive. It's interesting, you know, what are your philosophies in life and what your belief structures are. My dad is an Iranian man who's now 83 years old. And growing up, I can remember this is the type of person he is. Ants would be on the ground in front of us and he'd say, you see this shitting, these ants, they are exactly th like them. These, they're just shit, you die, you go into the ground and you're gonna come back again. Somebody gonna eat you like you're a plant or something like that. And I would talk about, but energy can't be created and destroyed. Like where do our, and that's t that was his explanation of it, that that is energy and that it isn't a soul, but it's the energy of the earth and all this. So when Jason died, I remember we got on the plane to fly back to the East Coast from out here. We had two private planes and we're in one and there's another one. And I'm watching Jason's dead body be put into the bottom of a plane. Like it was luggage yeah. and it was awful. Yeah, It was really awful. And I just turned to my dad and bless his heart, I feel so bad. I looked at him and I was like, do you still think we're just shit and we go into the ground? Which, poor guy. But you know what? He, at that point, was already in his 60s, so he, he just was quiet and didn't say anything. At Jason's funeral, you know, it was a very large funeral. His dad is a prominent New Yorker, and there were a lot of people there. It was hard to find my legs that day, I remember. But we had our hands on the casket and walked, and I saw the hole that he was going to be put in. I kept walking. I was like, I can't watch this. I couldn't watch them put my mom in the ground. No. Either. I walked away too. That would be a very like defining, clarifying how tragic a death is. Could you watch them be put into the ground? Like how connected are you to this person? Maybe it's a I don't box. Know. You can't even see them through the box. Oh, I couldn't. Right? But <laughs> <laughs> I kept walking. I just I just kept walking and I felt the wind come and I knew it was Jay. And I sat in a tree. I sat in a tree, like in a, and it felt like it was his lap. It was sort of, I just kept walking. I wasn't that far. I'm not good with measurement, but I was far enough that people weren't going to be just staring at me. And I sat there, and my dad then, probably in one, two minutes only, I was there, and my dad just came walking right over. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, Dad, I just want to be alone. And I sensed Jason very strongly tell me, your dad needs you right now to be with him more than you need to be alone. So my dad and I wandered the cemetery. My dad took some stones and put them on total strangers' tombstones and said, you know, look, even now somebody's thinking of this person. He turned to me at one point and said, you can't die. You're my whole heart. Aww. Those really dark moments when I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. 
knowing there was someone else who would feel that way about me going. I remember having to tell myself, okay, pick up your right foot, pick up your left foot, pick up your right foot, pick up your left foot, open the tea bag, put the kettle under, I mean, like I had to tell myself, I also remember being so baffled that other humans were just living their lives. Yeah. What are you doing? Shaving cream. The abstract became normal to me and normal every day became abstract. Shaving cream made no sense. (laughs) I remember just going to the bathroom to go pee one time and I looked at it and I thought, because I stopped wearing makeup. I mean, I couldn't do any of that stuff. Felt so not necessary. Yeah. I didn't feel of my body in some ways. I was almost trying to stay in a place that was with him, maybe. I don't know. But you said resonating on another level was kind of beautiful and special. It was so good. Because so- you're connected to something that, I mean, everybody feels differently about it. But I truly believe that you're more open if there is an afterlife, if yeah. these energies and all this spirit is real. I don't even know that I really believe when I sense Jason. I don't even know if I believe in any way, shape, or form that it's Jason. There could be this sort of all-knowing, omniscient entity that it knows, of course, what signs to share to make you feel warmed and comfortable with this other person that had died or had existed. That's a weird one. I don't know. I let myself be open to all of it. Shireen experiences a connectedness to her late husband that can't be fully explained. At the same time, she finds healing in unconventional forms of therapy. Indirectly, I already sort of had the education of being a theater major. It sounds silly, but I went to a performing arts high school and I have a degree in theater. Theater is therapy, basically, all day long. Half the time you're coming to neutral, you're trying to build a character, you're analyzing. Yeah. You're analyzing even how you move so that you can get to neutral and then put on it, you know, character. But then also I think the way that I thought, I was already analyzing and artist therapy and yes. theater is art. I think for those that are fortunate enough to tap into an art that they can explore, an art form that they can explore, I think that Huge it's huge, yeah. And I and I I think about people who don't have that opportunity. Yeah. People who don't have the freedom to. I surfed until my salt tears became the salt water. I couldn't talk about it. I wrote a lot, and I talked to my two girlfriends that were there, pretty much. Just movement, surfing, and then skating, and then eventually snowboarding again, which is how he died. Yeah. Is that um, hard to get back to? No, I guess I'm an adrenaline junkie. I mean, honest to God, I love riding. I will ride my head off. I'm not going to lie. There are times where I've fallen really hard and I'm like, whoa. And then I think, wow, the chances of me dying snowboarding seem so ridiculous. But at the same time, because him dying seems so ridiculous, yeah. it really feels like the chances are there. The fear, because of Jay dying in a tragic accident, sort of just boom all of a sudden, My daughter, when she's riding her bike and it's the first time and it's near the road, I had to explain to my boyfriend, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I am going to not share it with her. Inside, I have so much anxiety, I can't even tell you. In my mind, she is hitting a rock and falling and a truck is coming. I mean, yeah. and if a boyfriend was coming late, I would have to let him know, you can't, you have to let me know you're you're okay. 
because in the beginning, oh. especially, it really, for a few years, it was so hard to... I always went to the, like, oh, no, because he didn't show up. I was waiting for him yeah. at the car, and I waited and waited and waited and waited, and he never... How do we parent without being hovering parents? How do I encourage my children to be explorers and reconcile this deep fear within me that their explorations could get them killed? <laughs> yeah. I want to raise my daughter without fear, but aware. Yeah. That's it. I mean, look, I still snowboard. It's like there's so many different things to be afraid of. But just be aware. I mean, Jay was the kind of guy that was, like, out of control, kind of. Mm -hmm. Even though he's intellectual, like, very smart guy. But also wildly passionate, uh -huh. explosive energy. I mean, honestly, when we would go snowboarding together, I'd be like, get, get, what? I'd, like, point, like, go that way. Like, get away from me, you know? I mean, I remember in Guatemala once we got a dirt bike, and because I'm so darn short, I couldn't even get one because I wasn't tall enough. So uh -huh. I had to ride on the back of his, which course right away he like burns out the back tire and we're like on the ground you know he was always the daredevil -y. he's the kid that was skiing and went off the jump and then broke his back or whatever and I remember even in our 20s when we met everywhere we go we lived in Hawaii and he would just be climbing trees constantly everywhere we went he was in a tree so it's kind of no wonder that he ended you, up dying that way you, you said if his mother was here right now well, I'm thinking, like, she'd be like, oh, my God, he co was constantly pushing the envelope. And I will say, he had a good friend pass, died in an avalanche before him. There was something about him dying doing that that was okay, and I'm glad that... Doing something that he yeah. loved. I'm really glad I have no one to blame. I have no, like, cancer society to be mad at for not getting it sooner or yeah. whatever. There was no other human involved. Yeah. There was literally no one else involved. It's so amazing to hear you constantly go back to this gratitude, you know, what you're grateful for. That's just so hard. You know what my dad said, my doctor dad, when that antidepressant that I took and I said, mm -hmm. I don't really need this. My dad said, listen, Shireen, you have a high level of serotonin naturally. You've always been a happy kid. Him telling me that made that happen even more for me, which is funny. Don't forget that serotonin comes from your belly, your gut. So eat well for good mental health. It comes from your gut. Think about that. I like to eat. Yeah, but yeah, that's okay. We can eat just the good stuff. Just eat the but good if you stuff. eat a couple bags of chocolate like I do occasionally, you're going to have exactly. a rough couple of days. Oh, really? The chocolate? Really? I thought the chocolate helps your... Um... Not the amount that I eat. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think there's a pimple on my face. Oh, oh my gosh. No, I do think gratitude is super important, but that's that whole perspective shifting. I think of my friend Amber passing and me trying to say that to her mom, and I could not at this point. It's been a year only since she's died. I could not say that to her. And to someone else who hasn't lost someone, they might be like, oh, she's been dead for already a year. To me, it's like that's no time at all. Mm -hmm. None. I wouldn't say that to someone that was grieving. That's something I think you have to kind of find. You wouldn't find. say what exactly? You have to shift your perspective and yeah, feel better. That's, I, that's so not something you can it's something say. Something you can only discover on your own. I hope and at some exists. point, they will they'll say, "Okay, it's time for me." But that's the key to all of life—not just grief, right? Every it's single true. thing that it's happens. All perspective and kind of good things. You kind of draw them in, just like you draw in all the things you're open to, and focus on those. It's so hard, though. 
that is so hard. I mean, I am so far from that time when it happened. Yeah. 20 years almost. So to someone that's experiencing it in the moment, this conversation would be so different mm -hmm. if it was me, you know, 15 years ago even. Because I've thought about that too. If we had this conversation. Each increment would be different. Yeah. Reading letters that I wrote to Jason and then letters he wrote to me back when I was living in Hawaii and he was in New York. Just incredible how naive. And actually how many times I talked about the kids we were going to have in our future. Grieving the future of what he and I had was such a big part of Grieving my so process. I had to let go. Jason was not your average guy. And now 20 years later, I can tell you, and I meet a lot of people. I know some really awesome people. I've met some really amazing people. I mean, the guy that was with him when he died that I mentioned said to me, I knew when he looked at me that I was with someone very special. So people would feel this magic. It's amazing. If you want to be a magical person, simply listen. Actually be there in the moment with whoever it is you're talking to. For everyone else, they weren't allowed to laugh yet. Right. But for me, it was my medicine. I had to laugh at all of it. Do you think when you were laughing, were people around you afraid to laugh with you? Was that awkward? You know, I was with his family mostly, so yeah. no. Because they, I mean, Jewish sense of humor, mm -hmm. like, so... Mm -hmm. If you heard their sense of humor, my God. I mean, I remember, oh God, it was... Oh, it was Stephanie's birthday. He died March 27th, and her birthday's March 31st. And so we were having a party. Only four days later. Yeah. And when was his funeral? I think it was that day. It was her birthday. Wow. Or like okay. the day before or something. Okay. I think it was her birthday, actually. Okay. Wow. So there was a chocolate cake, and Grandma Charlotte, his grandmother, who's so funny, her grandson is dead. She's sitting there, sad, oh, sad. Oh, sad. And then the chocolate cake comes out. And she goes, oh, chocolate cake. Oh, wait, no, no, sad, sad. Oh. Like, she, <laughs> it was hilarious. And she wasn't trying to be funny, but it's like, it is funny because it's the, just the way that they're <laughs> We laughed. We had to. I'm so glad that family. The humor kind of shakes us out of that non-reality. We don't have to be grounded during that period, but we have to every now and then touch the ground, right? Yeah. <laughs> just know the ground's there for when we're ready to land. I think the key to healing is shifting your perspective on it. Yeah. So I remember very quickly going, this is either the worst, most God-awful thing in the world, or it's gonna be a beautiful gift. And I chose beautiful gift, even when I was sobbing and it was painful and all that, and it sucked. And it's kind of like cognitive behavioral therapy. That's what this is, is mm -hmm. you're, and I didn't know what it was back then, but I was doing it. I was saying, don't think of this as this. This yeah. is amazing. He's given you, at such a young age, the perspective on life that every moment counts. You know, when a little boy smiles at me and I get to make and smile back, like every little nuance of life felt so special and beautiful. Do you think if you had lost Jason like a month ago, what do you think the grief would have been the same? Oh, interesting. Like if we had had a full life together, yes, think, I think it would have been worse. Been you know what's really weird? is that I wouldn't be me. His death changed me, obviously. Mm -hmm. So if he was alive up until a month ago, person. I would have been a different person. I don't know the way that I would have been. Who knows, you know? Yeah. I'm pretty sure we would have had kids and all that. People asked me a lot, 
do you wish you had his kid? Would it be better if you had had his kid? Or do you think it's better that you didn't have his kid and all this? And I mean, my God, are you kidding? It was like the first thing I asked was, could they get sperm from him and put it on ice or something? And it was like, I think a Catholic hospital or something. And they were like, yeah, no, which bummed me out. It's confusing because now that I have a child, I know I would have been so in love with that child and it would have been amazing. Instead, what I got to do was selfishly grieve. And I mean that in an okay way. I don't mean it. Like I was by myself and I got to deal with myself. Mm -hmm. You didn't have any obligations. It's funny because now I have my daughter and I'm like, I understand though. Like when I have my daughter, she's my responsibility. I would have just been like, okay, you know, I have to deal with this. I couldn't be falling apart. But I was constantly writing. I did a lot of searching through my head to make sense of how I was ever going to love someone else. We were so deeply connected. We talked about this invisible umbilical cord. He and I used to talk about how for sure we met before and we made this plan. And then when he died, I was like, why did we make that plan? <laughs> what a dumb plan we made. <laughs> oh, man. When he died, I used to think about having a child someday and how there's no way I'll have a child and not think about him And when I'm pregnant and giving birth. There I was, pushing, and it was probably two pushes or one push before she came out. Jason was nowhere even close to my brain. Hadn't thought about him at all. And I happened to have a tiny tattoo in between my toes. It is hidden because I didn't want people to ask me about it, and it's his name. And when I took off my wedding ring, I had a guy tattoo Jason in Persian in between my toes. No one sees it. There I was pushing my daughter out, and the nurse notices it and says, that must have hurt. Literally within a moment of her coming out, Jason came rushing into my head and was there, and then gone again. And I was a little bit self-conscious of whether my daughter's dad had heard the nurse ask that and if that was making him uncomfortable. Is there guilt that way? I definitely would want to keep like pictures away. I don't have any pictures of Jason up. I don't need him, isn't that funny? Because he's so present. Sometimes I wonder if men would have a hard time with that. You know, I think I probably would, knowing like, oh, I meet some man and he's like, I have the most amazing wife, she's dead. Here's, she hears all the amazing ways she is. I know when my, my mom passed and my dad dated, he didn't take any pictures down or anything. Somebody brought it up like, that's got to be weird for your yeah. dad's girlfriend to see these pictures of your mom all over the house. And it's like, well, it's our house. I mean, she was our mom. I mean, you yeah. can't take that stuff down. No. There's so, so many weird milestones that you go through in grieving. There are so many. Like for widows, it's taking the rings off or all that. Mine went from taking the ring off, I got the tattoo then. But I never, I actually had that ring on a necklace for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I wore his watch for a really long time. I think I wore the most disgusting, ugly shirt to his funeral when I look back. I just, you want to hear something that was funny, that was disgusting? When I went to pack up the house and his like bike shorts a month later, our laundry was still, and I was like, wait, is this stuff cleaner? And I went to smell it. I was like, Ugh! and I was like, oh, God, he's dead, and here's his smell. And I, I did. And I, grabbed, I can't deal with it. You know what? I know. And you know what? It's interesting. I grabbed, I did, though, grab, there were things that it, that his smell was in for a while. 
his hair. Some, they gave me a lot. He had very long hair. They gave me a lock of his hair. After a while, I think you recognize that I'm torturing myself with this. Mm, yeah. I mean, the image of, you know, like sleeping with that hair, after a while, it's like torture. If it felt like that, I wouldn't have continued yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. There might be some weird little like arc of transition with memories and trying to like put them away a little bit. I think for me, though, I think I just have a really bad memory. If I could do it over again, I would write down what he and I did together and not feel bad about holding on to knowing that those things. I'm grateful for photographs that, that make me remember things. And I mean, sometimes I feel like he wasn't real. I have to like look at his family and remember like, yes, this, this human existed and loved me and died loving me and I'm grateful for that. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn and me, Sarah Shaul. The music was by Samantha Jensen. Visit us online at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at griefgratitudegreat. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a review. Your feedback helps our show and helps us find new listeners. Your support allows us to keep doing this work, delivering insights and inspiration. We'd be pleased as punch if you share our show with your friends and anyone you think could benefit from listening in. We're excited to share more stories with you, so please join us again 